I think it'd be really shocking for people to realize that just because something says it has 5,000 milligrams or 500 milligrams, it might not. (laughs) That is actually the most shocking part is you might think you're absorbing it um, and you might think you're digesting it, but you're not. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Fitty. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Natalie Katz and Wayne Nasby from Ocean Grown Ventures. Wayne and Natalie, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Doing great. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys joining. And I guess for the record, your locations would be... Los Angeles. We are in LA. <laughs> so West Coast, best coast. Here we go. <laughs> Gonna have to edit that part out, Kellen. So cool. <laughs> so I'd love for our listeners to get a little background about both of you and how you got into the cannabis space. Natalie, do you want to go first? Absolutely. So I'll speak on behalf of myself and my father. We kind of got into this together um, in 2017. We really wanted to honor my grandfather's legacy. He passed away from cancer in 2002. And one of the biggest things in his life was being philanthropic and making the world a better place for people. And he had escaped the Holocaust when he was only 13 years old on one of the last boats out to what is now known as Israel. And to honor his legacy, we decided to invest in Israel and kind of figure out what they're doing that are helping people right now. And it turns out they're actually the leaders in medical cannabis research which is something we were not aware of. Uh, really all started with Dr. Rafael Mashulam in the 60s. But ever since then, they've been the world leaders in medical cannabis research. And we thought that that was the perfect way to honor his legacy is, is providing um, a product and a solution to help people's quality of life. And that was our biggest goal. So I am the brand manager, uh, helping kind of create the tone and messaging of the brand, what the packaging looks like, and who we are as a company. Um, unfortunately, my dad, Jerry, is unavailable. He is flying back from Israel as we speak right now, but we do have Wayne, our COO, with us. So, Wayne, you can give him some background on yourself, too. Yes, uh, most certainly. Uh, thank you, Nat. Uh, guys, nice to meet you. Um, my background is a little bit unique. I've, I've been in the pharmaceutical biotech industry for over 30 years, and my areas of expertise are really um, GMP operations, product commercialization anything related to compliance with the FDA, as well as um, helping do conceptual designs and build outs of manufacturing facilities. So really just encompassing all of GMP operations. And then uh, I started early on at Amgen. And then from there, um, I started, uh, co-founded a a drug delivery uh, technology company here in California. Um, And that just took off. And we were just doing great stuff there as far as working with molecules and figuring out the best way uh, to deliver them. And then um, it was at that point that I hooked up with Jerry and Natalie. This was around 2000 and uh, late 2017, 2018. And they were trying to um, get me involved in the cannabis industry and, and taking what I had done in the pharmaceutical world and apply it in the cannabis space. So uh, needless to say, I wasn't really interested at the time. For various reasons, but um, at one point, I, I had a very, you know, mind-opening event where I was given the opportunity to meet the research scientists at a very well-known university here, and they're they're focusing on um, pediatric pediatric excuse me pediatric uh, cancer, and it was just unbelievable what they were doing, 
And I realized then that my perception of cannabis um, was completely wrong. And I wanted to focus all of my energy in, in trying to help develop the methodologies and the, and, the, and the science behind cannabis from a, from a commercialization perspective. And I've been doing it ever since. So it's pretty exciting for us right now. I appreciate you sharing that. And Wayne, I can hear some of the hesitation, so I don't need to ask you if you hesitated to jump in the space. But Natalie, I want to I start with you. Was there ever any hesitation to kind of come into cannabis? Obviously, as Wayne really shared, there was that stigma and there still is the stigma of cannabis. So any hesitation for right. you to kind of attach yourself to cannabis? Funny that you say that because something that my father, Jerry, always says is, you know, he would never bring me into this business just to create a rec brand for whoever gets someone the most high. That is not our goal here. And while we have no issues with recreational cannabis, that's to each his own. This is truly a medical uh, brand that we're promoting and that we're focusing on. And it's really about improving people's quality of life. So for me, it was an absolute no-brainer. Um, realizing that a natural solution like CBD and also THC products can improve people's quality of life is amazing. So knowing that whatever you're doing every day is making someone else's life better is very rewarding. Um, so although we hadn't anticipated when we went to Israel to kind of see what was going on there, that they would be the world leaders in medical cannabis research, it, it almost felt like kismet. Like I was saying, we wanted to honor my grandfather who passed away from cancer and Israel's conducting clinical trials on cancer research with cannabis. So it all seemed to fit. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's, it was honestly a very easy jump. I came from social media and marketing. And, and so it kind of just made sense. Were the conversations in Israel eye-opening? Obviously, what they're doing is pretty impressive. So I'm sure hearing some of the advancements that they have has got to be pretty surprising. It's, it's unlike anything you would ever expect. I mean, they're around a decade ahead in terms of medical research, just because of the, the legal landscape that's there. Um, you know, our, our partner, Panaxia, is actually the first company to be granted a license by the Israeli Ministry of Health to produce pharmaceutical grade CBD and THC products. So Panaxia, our partner, all of their products in Israel are manufactured, uh, you know, to pharmaceutical standards and then prescribed by doctors and patients get them at a pharmacy. So we're basically kind of taking that same product, but selling it online because of the legal landscape in the United States. So it's a pharmaceutical grade product, but it's not going through the same typical channels just because of the current legal landscape. And Panaxia is able to conduct clinical trials and do research and ways on their product that is just not allowed in the United States. And it's really unfortunate um, that the U.S. is so behind in this respect, but we're really excited to bring this technology, this science to the space. We really want to legitimize it. Um, something we always talk about is we want to bring all the benefits of pharmaceuticals, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturing, the standardization, the quality management, the quality of the raw materials, the consistency, all the things that you like about pharma without any of the negative aspects of it, you know, where it comes to being highly addictive or potentially negative side effects. So we have this natural solution of CBD, but then we're making it to the same standard that you would take an Advil. You would never question with your Advil that that, that tablet is going to be different than another one. It's going to have a different amount of the active ingredient that doesn't happen in those kind of products. Whereas in CBD, as we know, it's kind of the wild west in the United States right now. And there's a lot of mislabeling and there's a lot of adulterated products. And so we wanted to kind of create a new standard for the CBD industry and, and match it to that of the pharmaceutical space. I love it. And it's uh, quite daunting to hear it because we know <laughs> some of the challenges that you're up against, Indeed, and especially yes. with the advancements and where Israel is. And mm -hmm. especially here in like the East Coast, for example, I still have field conversations for people who try CBD products. And their first question out of their mouth is, will this get me high? 
Right, right. It's concerning because there is an educational gap. And then when you're talking about marketing a pharmaceutical gate product, there are so many challenges from that sense because not everybody is handling things, let's call it, quote unquote, the right way. So Natalie, in your opinion, from a marketing standpoint, discuss some of the challenges that go into us and discuss how your team overcomes some of those challenges. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things is is misinformation and, and false claims. So although we know that CBD can help with so many things, legally speaking in the United States, we cannot make those claims. So, you know, we cannot say that it helps with pain or anxiety or any disease state. And we've actually learned a lot about what we can and cannot say thanks to Wayne and his uh, expertise in this category and with compliance. So what we've come to realize is we really need to come from an educational standpoint and explain how CBD actually works in the body and kind of get rid of this whole supersizing culture in America where they tend to believe that the more CBD, the better. Oh, this has 5,000 milligrams. Like that's going to work better than this one that has 100. Unfortunately, that's just really not how medicine works. Um, You know, from a pharmaceutical perspective, you always want to start with the lowest dose and increase as needed. And so one thing we're trying to convey to consumers is just that, is that you need to have a true pharmaceutical grade product and it needs to have high bioavailability, which is actually the amount of the active ingredient that's being absorbed into your bloodstream. And so it's able to have an active effect. So it's not even about the milligram dosing. It's about the actual absorption of the product. And that has to actually be tied to studies. So there's a lot of companies that also claim that they have high absorption. Where are those claims coming from? They're anecdotal, right? But Panaxia, because they're in Israel and able to conduct clinical studies, has conducted something called a pharmacokinetic study, which measures the active ingredients flow and metabolism throughout your body and the distribution throughout your body. So unless they have those studies, there's no backing up the claims that they have high absorption. So our products have that pharmacokinetic study testing, and that also helps determine the dosage and the milligram count of our products. So everything behind our products is intentional, and there's a reason why they're dosed that way and why they have that milligram count. So it does take a bit of education to explain that, but we're trying to partner with doctors and physicians that want a brand they can trust and know is properly dosed and properly manufactured. So that is kind of the, the direction we're going in is the healthcare practitioner. I have a quick question. How challenging has it been knowing that a similar product or identical product from formulation perspective in Israel can be tied to these claims, right? And then you are trying then to communicate that same messaging to the consumers in a different country, yeah. but you can't. Like, how challenging has that been to navigate that world, if you will? To say it's frustrating is an understatement. <laughs> uh, so a lot of it has to do with semantics as well. Like, for example, you said, you know, we can't mention any disease states. Yeah. Uh, we can't specifically claim that it helps with something, even though we know that it, it you know, it does. There are clinical trials to back it up. Um, but hopefully in the near future, you know, Panaxia is conducting clinical trials on THC products as well. And we hope to have clinically proven claims within the next few years, uh, which will be a huge differentiator for us as well. But yes, uh, it's really difficult. We also see a lot of um, <laughs> claims made on packaging, pain relief, you know, all sorts of things. And if you notice that on a packaging, that should be a little red flag to you um, because they're not quite listening to what compliance rules are stating. So that should be a warning sign. Um, you Obviously, not every, not every brand is breaking the law. But you do need to be aware of the claims that these brands are making and realize what that actually indicates about how that brand operates. There's there's so many I know, right? There's so, <laughs> many, there's so many challenges here from perspectives too, right? Like, and yeah. I want to stay with the supersizing one because 
in my experience, I found most people when they're purchasing a product, more is always better. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't always. matter. It's always, always, always better. And I wonder if that's just like a cultural stigma, if that's a global phenomenon, or if it's trying to get the best value bang for your buck. But you're right, like having having that challenge there, because let's say all things equal, if two people who don't know what they're doing look mm-hmm. at the two different products, sometimes people will maybe more lean towards the more in just that scenario of I need to make a difference, what it is it. So communicating that and mm-hmm. educating them, but understanding that from a long-term perspective, the value is so challenging. And I give your team a ton of credit for putting <laughs> up the fight because it takes individuals like yourself doing it the right way to help set the industry forward. Thank you. Yeah, Wayne, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. And and that's the reason, that's the, you know, the foundation of why we are focused on the healthcare practitioner channel because we realized early on in the in the retail channel, the distributor channel, we didn't have people that were educating the consumers and telling the story and having the conversation with the consumers so they could get a better understanding of why they don't need to superdose and and why bioavailability was so important, right? So when we started to get doctors that were interested in helping their patients with alternative products, uh, not, not synthetic drugs, right? They didn't have a brand they could recommend. They didn't know if a brand was safe they didn't know if it worked. They, they they were clueless because they didn't have enough information. So we're seeing now when we started to approach physicians and share with them the information from a compliance perspective, from a pharmaceutical perspective, their eyes just opened up and they're like, where have you been? We've been waiting for, for a brand and, and, and people in a company like yours. So our, our, our goal is it's the physicians that are going to be our champions. And they're the ones that are going to be out there helping people when people come, uh, their patients, I should say, you know, and they say, Hey, you know, doc, what do you think about CPD? You know, for, for whatever their indication is, you know, that's when the doctor will say, well, I think you might want to explore this. You know, if, if a doctor recommends something nine times out of 10, you're probably going to give it a shot. You're going to give it a try. I know I do. Um, and that goes far for us. And and I think by going with uh, the HCPs, we're really going to have a huge impact and do some good things. Yeah, I agree. And I might say your nine out of 10 might be a little low from a, a real statistical <laughs> standpoint on, on people's purchasing <laughs> doctor's recommendations. So staying in that direction, though, when you're speaking to these physicians, is it more educational focused? Are you using the research to let it stand for itself? How do those conversations go about? Yeah, I would say it's, it's a combination. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, Wayne, yeah, it's a combination, but I'll, I'll let Wayne take this since he has the expertise in, in this industry. So go ahead, Wayne. Well, I think the, you know, the pharmaceutical model, really, there's a couple things that are going on here. One is that doctors strictly focus on science. They focus on results. So that's the foundation of the discussion. So you have that. We have that from our partner, Panaxia. We have the trial data. We have the information. And what we're doing with CPD or at least our brand is we're saying, look, we're going to tie this to a specific indication. And that indication will be tied to the dosage of the product. And then the dosage and the product will be tied to the delivery method. Is it a tablet? Is it a liquid? Is it a topical? And those three things 
is a very common way of looking at a product in the physician's world. So they get that and they think, and they've always gotten that and, and that's how they're programmed. So we're very excited to have the conversation and the, and the marketing materials, the physician detail aids, all of that is tied around the pharmaceutical model. And that's what makes us stand out because, you know, we are representing to a certain degree a pharmaceutical company. We've got pharmaceutical grade products and we're having almost like a pharmaceutical grade conversation. So the combination of all three really makes a good business sense. And it, and it makes sense to the physician. I have a question about education, Wayne. How challenging has it been dealing with physicians in the U.S. where the endocannabinoid system isn't really even taught in medical school? It, it's a huge challenge. And it, it was even worse a few years ago. But now <laughs> physicians are starting to think otherwise. Because now they're, they're starting to hear more information. They're starting to read more articles. And more of their, or more of their patients are starting to approach them and ask them questions about it. And the last thing a physician in my mind wants to do is not have an answer for a patient, right? So they want to have at least some knowledge, some good working knowledge where they can respond to the patient. And if we can provide that information to the physicians, then the the entire um, session with with the patient uh, goes so much better. So it's a win-win for the patient, for the doctor, and for us. And to tag on to that, we also have access to Panaxia's official physician's desk reference guide. So Panaxia in Israel, in conjunction with the Israeli Ministry of Health, actually created you know, a physician's desk reference to go over how CBD THC works, how it you know, interacts with the body, dosing protocols, indications, everything like that. So they truly have the expertise and knowledge to educate. And we do plan on having continuing medical education courses that are provided to doctors so that we can educate them in this field. And that way they can feel confident actually recommending products to, our, to, to their patients and to customers. It's so important too, right? Because you're not just fighting the stigma from a customer standpoint. You're also fighting the doctors who, some of them have practiced medicine for God knows how many years. Their whole life. Yeah. (laughs) Try to put a number to it, but life, right? And and now you're you're opening up their eyes to endless possibilities. So I can imagine the compliance standpoint is probably a really beneficial aspect when you're communicating to them, right? Having a reproducible product, one that's compliant Mm -hmm. and one that follows a similar standard. So I'd love to kind of stand on that topic too. Now, so Wayne, in your perspective, what what compliance aspects now are really differentials for your team? What compliance aspects are, are unique to us? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what compliance aspects are important that maybe the, the most of the industry isn't following or ones that kind of separates your team from some of the peers? Oh, this could be a long call. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really interesting because just about every company that manufactures or distributes and sells CPD they all say the same thing to, to the most part. They all say that their product is third-party tested. They have a certificate of analysis, and they claim to be a GMP. So with that being said, if every single product on the shelf, whether you're in a gas station or a convenience store or wherever you are, if everybody says and claims the same thing, then how are you unique? What makes you different? And, and the reality is, is well, okay, you know, industry metrics tell you that 25 to 30% of everything that's out there in the industry is adulterated. So there isn't the amount of CBD in there as they're claiming, et cetera, even though it's third-party tested, there's, there's ways around that as we all know. So it, it's, it's, it's definitely a huge mess from an industry perspective, but let's talk about the good guys. So if, if, if you're a, a regular, decent manufacturer and you are trying to do the right thing, 
It's the mindset of the leadership team of these CPD companies. And what I mean by that is when you manufacture a product, even if it's not CPD, if you have a quality assurance department or a QA person and you say, that's the person that's responsible for quality for my product, that's the person that makes sure we do the testing, we count on this department or group to make that happen. And that's why you should buy my products. That's absolutely the worst possible thing you could say. Okay. And the reason why is because quality is done by everybody in the company, everybody that touches that product, right from the CEO making the decisions that the cost of quality isn't cost. It's the reality of manufacturing and selling a superior product. So if everybody in the company contributes to quality, then your QA person simply just manages the quality management system of a company. They oversee it. So that means the person that's actually doing um, you know, the, the manufacturing or the packaging or the extraction, that person is trained. That person is educated. That person has the documents to back it up. They've gone through a thorough analysis to make sure that every step of the process has been done to meet the quality management system. So at the end of the day, you're going to have a superior product because your system is going to generate it and everybody involved is going to be part of that system. So that fundamentally is a huge difference between what people do from a testing perspective when they say, well, we test our product and we, you know, third party test it and it's, and it's good versus truly taking a step back and looking at your entire organization. And, and that's what we've done. We have a quality management system with Panaxia that allows us to be able to prove to the physicians this is exactly the type of product that we want to not only manufacture, but sell to consumers that really need our help. And it seems to work extremely well for us. And I would say to add on to that, you know, when we talk about quality and everyone talks about the testing at the end, we always care about quality from the way beginning. And that includes our raw materials. So our predetermined specifications from Panaxia for our hemp biomass far exceeded most of the farm's uh, testing specs. So we spent over a year. You can ask Wayne the, the you know, brain damage you went through to go find a farm that actually passed Panaxia specifications. But what you'll find is a lot of companies or you know farms love to use marketing terms like organic and all natural. But unfortunately, that actually means very little when you look at the FDA and USDA's requirements. Um, it, it's kind of just a certain word that is used in the marketing field, but it actually really means very little when it comes to quality. So, you know, our testing far exceeds USDA requirements. So although our product's not certified organic, it's actually a higher quality raw material uh, than an organic biomass. So that is also something to consider as well. So we really take it seriously from the raw material that has to have a predetermined specification. Each product has a predetermined specification. It has to be manufactured in the exact same way. You know, even our, our packaging is GMP compliant. So we had to source, you know, different bottles from all over the world to make sure that it was in accordance with pharmaceutical standards. Yeah. So the organic, I mean, I still end up paying more for my broccoli when it has organic. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but I think it's, I want to stay on the quality, uh, mm-hmm. quality aspect. And I think that for our listeners, um, CGMP gets thrown around very actively in the industry, right? It's, it's a, it's a really big buzzword right now, but <clears throat> technically there is two very different classifications of CGMP, correct? There's a, a nutraceutical CGMP kind of guideline, and then there's a pharma CGMP guideline. And so could you guys kind of 
uh, just educate our listeners on some of the differences from a quality perspective when you truly are following that pharma kind of guidelines from a pharma uh, GMP perspective versus the more or less stringent nutraceutical GMP kind of guidelines? Could you guys kind of educate our consumers on that aspect as well? Wayne, I'll let you take Yeah, absolutely. It's very, um, it's been a while since someone's asked me that question. So I'm, I'm really excited (laughs) that you did, but, um, unfortunately, and and by the way, I am a lot of fun and parties. So (laughs) Kellen is also, so so basically, (laughs) so the code of federal regulations, look at it this way. There's two levels. There's the code of federal regulations for pharmaceuticals and there's the code of federal regulations for dietary supplements. So dietary supplements, that CFR is 110, 111. You can look it up. And then there's 210, 211 for pharmaceutical. Basically, the CFRs are the requirements. So the industry, the, the, the regulatory agency, the FDA and others, they don't tell you how to do something. They just tell you what's required to do something. You have to interpret how to meet that requirement. And that requirement and how you do that are your GMPs, your current good manufacturing practices. So sometimes people get a little bit confused about what GMPs means versus uh, the CFR. So always remember at the end of the day, when you're being audited, they're going to come in and they're going to bring the CFRs and they're, you know, there's 35, 40 of them, and they're going to go down the list and they're going to ask you to demonstrate and show how you're in compliance with, with each CFR. And the CFR can be anything from how you're testing the biomass, as, as Natalie indicated, how are you designing your packaging components, or do your packaging components meet these requirements, et cetera, et cetera. The difference between pharma and dietary supplements is, is the complexity and how stringent it is. So they are this, they're relatively the same, but the depth of what's required for each CFR is significantly higher for pharmaceuticals than it is for dietary supplements. But um, you also have to take into consideration, you know, the reason why they're there, where your drug or your product falls into a category. Um, how is, you know, is it a drug where it's a scheduled one drug? You know, all of this takes into play as far as how complicated and how intense the audit could be and, and the regs that you have to meet. So there's a lot of variables to it. But when we're, you're making a, dietary supplement as a pharmaceutical drug, a lot of the um, requirements that you're doing, like we did, aren't really that complicated because at the end of the day, the type of product we have doesn't require a significant additional amount of work to make it in compliance. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. And I want to kind of piggyback off what you said kind of prior about the importance of instituting the internal aspects from a culture standpoint and not looking at it as a cost because Kellen and I have had a bunch of conversations where people ask us if we need to do something and the need is very, should you, do you need to? Depends on really what you want to accomplish here and and the type of game you're playing from a short-term and long-term perspectives, right? Because I would argue that a lot of people are taking short-term steps in order to, you know, get through today until tomorrow and not think about it from the long-term perspective. So I want to I want to expand on Wayne what you said on ask how many let's say other CBD providers competitors of yours are are going through the same rigorous testing from a pharmaceutical standpoint as your company. That's an excellent question. I haven't found anyone so far. Uh, maybe Natalie, you've come across a brand or a product, but 
I haven't come across anyone that has taken it to the level we have. Um, you know, it took us um, oh, what, two and a half years, two and a half years. We were stealth. We didn't make a dime for two and a half years because it took that long to develop and commercialize these products to meet uh, the, the pharmaceutical regulations, even though we knew it was only going to be a dietary supplement. Look, you, at the end of the day, you, you have to make a decision. Are you going to plan for success when you know 12, 14, 16 months from now, your product is going to be regulated by potentially the FDA? We already know the California Department of Public Health is already considering rolling CPD and as a dietary supplement. So you either do the work now, get your, your product ready, and when the, the requirement is acted and they give you 60, 90 days to be in compliance, you'll be ready to go. Or you're going to have to fast track everything that you should have done, you know, a year and a half ago um, without damaging your brand and without losing sales. So it's, it's really, and it does cost a lot of money to do this, no argument there, but it could be more damaging to you later um, if you're not prepared for it because of the disruption, right? So it's like, are you going to build a house right? And if, with, the, with the amount of money that you have, are you going to build it right? Or are you going to try to, you know, build it to a certain degree where it's just good enough? So it all depends on your philosophy. And just to pick, sorry, just to piggyback off that, what you said when they have 60 or 90 days to get into compliance, what took you two and a half years to try to do in, let's say, three months? What was expensive in two and a half years, I'd imagine, be a little more expensive if you had to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's a well, good guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine having, you know, $300,000 worth of packaging components that you can no longer use? Yeah. Just that alone. Yeah, it all adds up. That's okay. actually what I was going to add is our packaging components. One of the longest parts of our, of our, you know, process before launching the brand was having a law firm that specialized in FDA compliance review every last detail of our packaging, even to the boldness of the font in certain parts. So we basically, you know, with Wayne's expertise, foresaw that the FDA or at least state by state would start regulating CBD as a dietary supplement. And as Wayne said just a moment ago, we're already seeing that happen in California. So we we kind of, we positioned our, our packaging and our brand to be a dietary supplement in anticipation of that. So everything is fully, fully compliant with dietary supplement guidelines. And you'll also notice that's why there are absolutely no claims on our packaging, on our website, et cetera. I think that's couldn't be stated loud enough. And <laughs> Brian and I have a little experience on really understanding the amount of information that needs to be communicated on a package label yes. for these kind of products. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Yes, <laughs> it really is. As a marketer, it was challenging to try to fit everything on it. And it just was mm -hmm. like, I don't know what. Uh, I make the font smaller. <laughs> and then they're like, nope. This Do I sell it with the magnifying glass? Like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, certain information has to be visible. It has to convey, you know, at the right time and space. It's yeah. very complicated. Wayne, in your opinion, why do you think a lot of these other brands and companies are not positioning themselves for a long term? You think it's financial based? You think it's education? Do you think it's more of just like let's get through today? What do you, in your opinion, what do you what do you think the reason is? I don't think they're focused on the medicinal opportunity. Their, their whole, their, their brand, their strategy, everything. I don't think they're focused as a health and wellness product. I think they're focused as a CBD product and what their interpretation of yeah. what that means. Yeah. We, we were at a show. We did one show before COVID, the pandemic hit. And 
we were approached as why why are you here? People kept coming up to us from different booths, the competitors saying, "What is a pharmaceutical company doing at a CBD show?" And people continuously looked at us like we don't belong here. You know, it's just not right. And it, they weren't being mean, but we looked like a pharmaceutical company because we are. We're representing a pharmaceutical company. We have a pharma brand. So it's clear to me that the industry isn't focused on that. And the reason why is because it's just not in their business model. They don't want to do the HCP channel for all of the reasons that make sense for them. Whereas it's exactly opposite for us. I don't want to compete with Joe's CPD gummy bears at, you know, some 7-Eleven. To me, that's just not what it, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, edibles aren't going to work anyway to the degree on the bioavailability side. We all know that. So why don't we just focus on the, the products and, and the indications that make really the, the smartest sense to help people with, you know, what they're, what they're going through. And it just, it's clear to me that the industry doesn't have that same frame of mind. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would say a lot of companies are just jumping on the kind of CBD bandwagon because it's an emerging industry. And we're seeing things like CBD candles, right? So, I mean, what is that going to do? <laughs> so I think a lot of the times people are just looking for, you know, a quick buck in the industry. They're not here long-term, but our whole goal isn't just to make a lot of money and then disappear when the regs change. We're actually trying to, like I said, create a new standard in, in the CBD industry. And, and as regulations get more stringent, I think we're going to see a lot of drop-off from brands that just can't meet those regulations. They're just really not able to perform and create a product that's safe and consistent in that way. Yeah, they're going to kill a lot of companies mm-hmm. that just don't have the capital investment in order to switch their their operations. So let's talk future roadmap. Any any minor cannabinoids on the radar? Any up-and-coming products that you're excited about that you can share with us? I would say something that we're really excited about is down the line when we do have our THC products, because with the CBD industry, we're not allowed to have certain delivery methods. Thanks to Wayne explaining that to us, they're considered over-the-counter delivery methods. So down the line, we're going to have sublingual tablets that dissolve. We'll have suppositories, pain patches, and other delivery methods like that. And and as we mentioned earlier, that can be clinically proven. So Panaxia is doing uh, clinical trials on migraines, epilepsy, psoriasis, and other indications. That's so cool. And then also to piggyback onto that, and to piggyback onto that, back to the CPD side, um, we can share with you that we are very focused on doing additional research um, in the sleep category. Mm -hmm. So we've got a very good sleep product, but I'm confident that the cannabinoids that we're looking at right now, at specific levels combined um, with um, with melatonin and other APIs. Um, really could do something really great for us. So I think parallel, we're, we're going to continue to look at that and see if we can develop a new formulation. That'd be awesome. And so many people in America suffer with sleep deprivation. So if, if it works, it would literally impact so many, so many people's life in a really positive way. One of the favorite things that we see from our reviews is people saying they've gotten off their, their pharmaceutical prescription drugs that often have those potentially negative side effects and are very addicting. 
um, and they've replaced it with our products. So that also, you know, we have that CBD melatonin, which is amazing for sleep. And another product that we're really proud of is our CBD and myonostal. And this, once again, you're, I see your face. You're like, what is myonostal? This is why working with a company like Panaxia is just so different than any other CBD brand. Uh, myonostal is a naturally occurring um, compound in the brain that affects serotonin and dopamine and other chemical transmitters. And in a clinical trial, it was proven to be as effective as Prozac at reducing anxiety and panic attacks. So we have this amazing nutraceutical that combines two natural compounds that is amazing for stress. So we have truly unique formulations. Panaxia has seven patents on their, on their formulations and delivery methods. So when we say it's proprietary, we actually mean it. We're not just marketing um, nano, part, you know, nano <laughs> CBD and all organic and all that kind of stuff, which sounds great. But you know, this is truly pharmaceutical grade manufacturing and formulation development but it's using you know, ingredients and compounds that won't have those negative aspects of the pharmaceutical industry. So that's what we're most excited about with that. Just to kind of expand on the sleep, when we met Jerry, I shared with him the story about my mom and the sleep and how many products that she's tried. And, and Jerry was fortunate and, and nice enough to share with me and I gave it to my mom. And her response is usually very quickly, it didn't work. And this one, she goes, I think it worked. And for me, <laughs> That is such a step it, forward yeah. to think that possibly it could work. Right. It was a massive, massive difference maker. And, you know, you're right. Like the sleep aspect is a game changer. If, if that can go down, it can help so many, so many people. Your whole health and wellness, you know, overall, your sleep really impacts all of that. So that is um, probably our best seller, I would say, is our CBD melatonin. So what is w- one concept or fact that would shock an everyday consumer about the cannabinoid industry? Wayne, do you want to take that one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm processing. That's a really good question. What's one fact that would shock when we're about the CPD industry? I mean, I think the one we were talking about before where people think more is better, I think it'd be really shocking for people to realize that just because something says it has 5,000 milligrams or 500 milligrams, it might not. <laughs> that is actually the most shocking part is you might think you're absorbing it um, and you might think you're digesting it, but you're not. So even if it says it has that amount, a lower dose product that actually is formulated to have high bioavailability and the pharmacokinetic testing to back up those claims, that is the biggest difference. So I think the biggest misconception about CBD right now is that more is better. Um, besides all the obvious, you know, will it make me high? Those kind of questions, but yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I think going back to the, the average consumer does think CPD will continue to make them high, right? So I think that that has, has never gone away. Um, <laughs> the education about CPD is just unbelievable. It's just, it, it has to be, um, we have to do a better job of communicating what CPD is and what CPD isn't. Um, but again, because people will test positive on a drug test for THC when they're taking CPD, they have to be, they have to be educated to understand why, you know, so you get yourself into a pickle where you tell them, no, there's no possible way you're going to get high. Trust us, the science, here's the endocannabinoid system here. Here's all of the background that you need to know, but don't take a drug test because you'll test positive. And they look at you like, what are you talking about? So you've got to get over that. And it's very confusing for people. Yeah. And I would say that actually ties back into a lot of people don't realize that CBD is just a compound and it's available in hemp and marijuana. So if anyone is telling you that CBD is only from hemp, that is incorrect information. It is a compound. It is a molecule, right? So it can come from marijuana plants as well. 
It's just that that plant overall, the hemp plant has very low amounts of THC, but it's they're, they're cousins. It's not like an actual distinction there. Um, so I think that's also very confusing for people. Wayne, what's your opinion Big Pharma has for the cannabinoid industry? Are they threatened? Do they see it more as an ally, an intersection, a, let's say a new revenue stream? In your opinion, what do you think Big Pharma thinks of, of the cannabis industry? CPD. And the reason why I say it that way is if the, if the science and the research looks promising, they will pull the trigger in a second. Absolutely. They'll be all over it. But until the science and the research justifies them taking a serious look at it, they're going to keep an eye on it. It's in the room. It's over in the corner. But as soon as something lands on the desk that shows that this is an opportunity to do some really good things, when I say good things as, as it relates to an indication or health and wellness, then they're going to go after it. They're going to go after it big time and nobody can be in their way. And it's just a matter of time because the research is increasing. Science is getting more solid and like everything that's happening in Israel, you know, that's a country, but guess what guys, you know, we have the internet, everybody's going to know what's going on. So it's just a matter of time before pharma just takes over. Do you think someone, a a big pharma company will pull the trigger a little early in anticipation of their peers? Because if it is an arms race, right, to acquire some of these assets and these formulations, you you can't be second to the party. You have to be first. So you think some of them will be more willing to, let's say, take a a chance and a gamble on some of these acquisitions? Or do you think they'll they'll try to play conservative depending on, you know, who is the company? No, they will not be conservative. No, I think that we're already, I think we're already there though, right? Like Pfizer's seven yeah. million dollar entry um, purchasing Arena right. Pharma, right? Like that is as big of a cannabinoid play as you possibly can from a pharma perspective. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't yes. have to. You don't have to be conservative when you have deep pockets, guys. Yeah, <laughs> when you have deep pockets, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, and, a quick, and a quick Google search of any of the patents that Pfizer has would lead you to have over 3,000 different patents on cannabinoids. So you can right. see they're pretty invested in just a matter of time. I'd wonder if if there's another acquisition in the spree for, let's say, someone else in order to try to compete with them, or if Pfizer doubles down and continues to expand in the space. It's a good question. Yeah. Only time will tell. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so... Right. Natalie, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? Biggest misconception. That's a good question. Uh, I think we touched on it a little earlier. I was saying, you know, a lot of people don't understand the difference between, you know, hemp, marijuana, CBD as a molecule. And as, as Wayne was touching on, you know, full spectrum versus an isolate. Um, I think there's a lot of misconception about why you would take an isolate over a full spectrum product. And in our mind, the only reason you would ever want to take an isolate or even a broad spectrum is if you're being you know, drug tested for your job. Because in terms of efficacy and the research, and that kind of ties into our pharmacokinetic studies that Panaxia conducted, the reason that they, they demanded that we're full spectrum, we wanted to offer broad spectrum uh, for people who are drug tested, but they said that will drastically affect the efficacy of the product. So I think People think there's a lot of talk about the entourage effect, but they don't really realize how deeply scientific that, like how rooted that is in science and testing and formulation making um, and all the trials and studies that these, these people are conducting. So I also think there's a lot of misconception about how difficult it is to make a um, product that is made from plant material consistent. 
Um, Wayne was talking about this earlier, you know, the difference between making a synthetic drug versus making a plant-based product. It's not the same and it's actually extremely difficult to standardize. So I think people often think that they're getting the same product every time. Um, but if it's a new batch, there's a big chance if they don't have those standard operating procedures and quality management systems in place, that it's not going to be what you think it is. And so I think that's the biggest misconception. Like not all CBD is created equal and science really does play a part in that. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation. What would it be? Wayne, do you want to go first? Lessons learned. Or from a business perspective, or you mean for our consumers? Help me Anything. out. Any Anything. life. It could be life, could be business, could be... Um, well, you know, guys, I'll, I'll just say this. The, the, the cannabis space right now is, is probably one of the most difficult um, industries to start a company in. And, and the reason why I say that is because you could start an over-the-counter drug manufacturing company for a lot less money, a lot less pain, um, much faster and be in compliance with the FDA in a much shorter time. From a business perspective, when, 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 you know, with my past history with the companies I've worked for, I had absolutely not near the amount of pain and suffering and living nightmare that I've gone through with cannabis. Cannabis is out of control from a regulatory perspective, from an operational perspective. And, you know, I would tell someone that is coming behind me if they wanted to, you know, start and build you know, a manufacturing uh, cannabis company and, and sell and distribute, you know, okay, but you better really do the research and understand what it's going to take to make this happen because there's not a clear path, you know. Um, you know, we talked about the CFRs, the Code of Federal Regulations. There are less, you know, CFRs for an over-the-counter drug company than there are uh, rules for a cannabis manufacturing company. There's like three times more uh, regula- regulations for a cannabis company than there are an over-the-counter drug company. That's insane. It's insane. And and the margins, you know, aren't there from it because of the taxes. So I would caution someone to really do the research before they, they pull the trigger on this because I don't think they understand how difficult uh, it's going to be. But if they have the resources and the intelligence and the time to make it happen, it will be rewarding, but it's going to be a very difficult industry to be successful in. Plain and simple. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. It is a marathon. It is a marathon. And you have to have the passion for it, right? Yes. The passion has to be there. If we could take somebody off a synthetic drug, if we can make someone that has, let's say, arthritis and they put a cream on their knee or whatever the case may be, if we can give somebody an alternative, to help them feel better, how could you not want to do that? If you want to do that, then it's the right industry. But if you're just out there trying to make people feel happy and fun and your product is just recreational, okay, great. That that works for you. But that's that's not what we're into. That's not where our passion is. So um, it's an exciting time for us. And it's been, it's been hard, but um, at the end of the rainbow, so to speak, I think we're going to have some really great stories to tell. Awesome. <laughs> And I would say for mine, um, I agree with everything Wayne said. And I also think, you know, we have to realize that not everyone is going to play this game fairly. Um, that in terms of, you know, 
competing against brands that are mislabeling, making claims, et cetera, and how hard it is to break through that noise. I would say that's the biggest lesson learned is realizing how we need to communicate effectively and educate not only doctors, but even just the people taking these products. I mean, they're really... There's a we know there's so much interest, but there really is a lack of of information and a lot of misinformation. So yes. the amount of times I've seen an article talking about how CBD is from hemp and THC is from marijuana, and it it you know makes my just it just upsets me because they're trying to explain something, but then they're actually giving misinformation, and those people are then taking that and spreading that as well. So I think the educational aspect of it and getting people on board with the medical side of things is, is the biggest part. The game is not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> it doesn't help that. Go ahead. No, you can, you can. I was just going to say, it doesn't help that we've been missing the massive institutes that provide standardization yeah. from an educational perspective yeah. for the last it's, 80 years, right? So They'd, make They'd make it's a difference? They'd make a difference? In Israel, it's a totally different world when it comes to cannabis. There, Uh, like the The consumers must be just on a different level of education. Different level of education. Um, the The stigma is not there. (laughs) It's just not there. And the education for you know people in universities. You know, there's there's kids that are going to college and actually doing research on cannabis there which is kind of unheard of in the United States. You wouldn't even think that that's an opportunity, right? So uh, we actually know of people from the U.S. that went to Israel to study cannabis because that's just not an option in the United States. Shout out to our boy, Ben Newhouse, who we had on a little (laughs) while ago. talking. He was doing that exact research. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So So, it just goes to show how um, far ahead they are. And they're, you know, they're even doing research showing that different extraction methods affect the efficacy of the of the product on a specific indication, it gets really that that specific. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Prediction time. What medical area do you think long term cannabinoid therapy will be the most beneficial, Natalie? I mean, as we kind of talked about before, I would say sleep. I would say sleep, anxiety, and pain are well, the. You're going to take all oh. three. You, you're, you're not, not going to leave any. That's it. Just um, yeah, just take all three so Wayne has nothing to say. Uh, no, I, I think I think sleep is probably the biggest category because that impacts your anxiety um, and also, you know, physical pain. So I think sleep, having and maintaining a restful sleep schedule and good sleep hygiene is one of the most important things you can do for your wellness. So that's probably one of the biggest ones. Wayne? I agree 100%. <laughs> but I also think that the science and the research in the future is going to focus a lot more on inflammation. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to find out that inflammation is going to be huge, huge for, for the cannabis space. And I think there's going to be opportunities that we don't, we're not even aware of right now where the science and the research is going to direct us down paths that are really going to do some great things. Kellen. I'm going to go with oncology. I think that um, there's some really exciting clinical trials that just got underway in Israel showing mm-hmm. um how effective treatment of a specific whole plant extract had on a a cancer line. And so I'm really excited to see that kind of research expand the clinical trials, get more people involved and kind of see what really the benefits. Because I mean, I think that cancer and cannabis have kind of been hand in hand for the last 20 years. I think it's probably been one of the more... um, popular use case scenarios for cannabis is individuals that are on chemo utilizing it for help. And I think that there's 
originally, right, it's it's used for appetite to simulate appetite. But I think that there potentially could be a lot more to um, the. It's it's interesting that you, you say that because one of our other partners, who's just a straight up analytical research lab, so they're not making products, but they're actually doing research on not one mutation cells from leukemia with yep. with That's, cannabinoids. So, Dr. Deddy Miri. Um, is one of our partners as well. So he's one of the lead leading researchers in, in Israel doing all yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's who has it in the clinical trials, right? I think that's yeah, the one I was referring to. I, I, I was, had a feeling you were from yeah, Dr. Totally. Uh, <laughs> that is yeah, it, yeah. So we're, sure. we're partners with him um, and he's doing some of the most amazing work. You know, he really has kind of picked up where Rafael Mishulam left off and is is carrying on that legacy. So what, What's left for you, Brian? Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of <laughs> tough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with focus. I guess for me, right, the, the list is kind of it's it's kind of small at this point. I think if you think about all the people, especially in college, that use let's say Adderall mm-hmm. in order to kind of mm-hmm. keep themselves attentive or for other purposes, I, I think if they could find a more natural solution to help them and and feel that same sort of attentiveness that they're looking for, I think that can be beneficial. And especially if it's an all natural one, I know there's already a bunch of other products out there that try to be a replacement for Adderall, but I would hope that there's a variety of different medical benefits. And I think with some advancements and I think with some individuals like yourselves doing things the right way and cutting through some of the noise, it'll help change the stigma and help the advancement of the industry pretty aggressively and really commend you guys for taking those steps and doing it the hard route, but the right way, which is what this industry really needs. So for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more and they want to see some of the products. Where can they find you guys? Yeah, so they can find us at Tikva Health, T-I-K-V-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And all of our social media is also Tikva Health. So we're on Facebook, Instagram. That's where you can find us. Awesome. We're also, you know, um, in some pharmacies across the country. But I would say e-commerce is the easiest way to access us. So, yes. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Great speaking with you Thank guys. You. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.